0: This holiday season, The Salvation Army invites everyone to love others beyond whatever hardships they may be facing. This Love Beyond the podcast series features our national leaders hosting conversations with friends of The Salvation Army who have stepped up in support of the campaign and their neighbors in need. Here's a conversation with Commissioner Hodder and Dr. Ed Stetzer. Hi, everybody, welcome back to the Love Beyond series of the Fight for Good podcast. I'm your host, Commissioner Ken Hodder, National Commander of the Salvation Army, and it's great to have you with us here once again for another exciting conversation about faith and leadership. My guest today is one of the smartest people I know. Not only is he a good friend of the Salvation Army, but he is internationally known as an author, as a speaker, as a missiologist, and as a consultant on ways in which the church can reach more people for Jesus Christ. Ed Stetzer is a dean and professor at Wheaton College and he leads the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College. He has served most recently at Oxford University and he is working together with me as members, of the executive committee for the national association of evangelicals in fact that's the context in which i got to know ed very very well so we'll be talking a little bit about all those things here today but ed it is just a delight to have you here with us welcome to the love beyond series and the fight for good podcast
1: oh i love the title of the podcast and of course appreciate being with you commander good to see you again
0: It's great to be with you, Ed. Now, Ed, I mentioned uh, in the introduction that uh, you've been a very busy man the last few months. True. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what uh, has been going on.
1: Well, you know, ironically, I'm on sabbatical from Wheaton College, and so I'm not doing my regular leadership at the school I lead called the Lipfin School of Mission, Ministry and Leadership or the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, I've been doing uh, sabbatical work, which is a little different. You know, if you take a sabbatical as a pastor, you probably take a couple of months off to rest and refresh. An academic sabbatical tends to be longer. So I have a sabbatical for a year and you tend to teach or write. And so I'm writing a couple books and I spent the well, they call it autumn. We call it fall. I spent fall 2022 uh, teaching at Wycliffe Hall at Oxford University.
0: That's fantastic. That's fantastic. You know, I don't know how you get it all done, Ed. Uh, You've written so many books, you go to so many conferences, you consult with so many people. uh, And there are a 100 different ways to do that these days. What do you find is the most powerful way? to prepare Christians to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think of all the, the different avenues that are available to us. What, in your experience, is the most powerful way that Christians can share the gospel these days?
1: Well, I think, I think for you know how, how they share the gospel or how they embody a gospel witness might come down to maybe how God has wired them. Um, and for me, I, I would say, first and foremost, um, the, the best way to encourage someone to share the gospel is any way that they will actually share the gospel. So mm-hmm. for some, it's going to be uh, they're going to frame it in and around the mission. The mission is showing and sharing the love of Jesus. So they might show the love of Jesus through their uh, actions. And in doing so, we hope we pray that they might also and we encourage them to give a verbal sharing of the good news of the gospel. For others, it might be, you know, around a holiday. Right. So so, um, you know, when we talk about Christmas season or Easter or even Mother's Day is actually a time when people are more open to go to church. So so those might be invitations to a congregation to hear the gospel. It might be to a small group that's doing something like Christianity Explored or Alpha or some sort of. Uh, what we might call a seeker-oriented conversation. So what I would say is is that um, all of us have a responsibility to show and share the love of Jesus. Jesus gave the mission to all Christians. He said, "As the Father has sent me, even so send I you." Not the pastors, not the not the officers. He said, "Even so send I you." So then the question is, within our, within our gifting and wiring, how might we best show and share the love of Jesus, I think is the right question to ask. And there's all kinds of, you know, there's all kinds of resources that train people. Uh, the challenge is, is, is people are often a little unsure or maybe, or maybe afraid how to share their faith. So they can, they can use those resources to strengthen that. And, and, but at the same time, I, I think ultimately it's a hard issue. We've got to have as, at our heart the desire to show and share the love of Jesus.
0: Well, you know, uh, ultimately that's a very liberating message because what you're suggesting is is that the gospel can be shared uh, uh, in argumentation, uh, a Paul of the Areopagus sort of an approach. It can be done in a testifying uh, uh, manner. It can be done in a service manner. But that's not the way people understand evangelism. If you ask a man on the street, what is evangelism? He'll have an image of people standing out on the street corner Uh, Preaching uh, or of knocking on doors. Uh, And I think that sort of preconception exists still to a great degree in the church itself. So, how do you open up people's understanding and uh, thereby reduce their reluctance? Uh, to share the gospel?
1: Well, I think, I think vocabulary matters here and that, um, you know, we start with maybe three words in narrowing, not in a bad sense, but clarifying or more focused. So the the, the biggest word is mission is, you know, we're, we join Jesus on mission and what he's doing in the world. So that's going to be caring for the hurting. That's going to be uh, ministering you know, the widow, the orphan, the least of these, uh, Luke chapter four, the marginalized. So that's um, part of the mission is gospel uh, demonstration and gospel proclamation. So we want to uh, make sure that's clear, seen, lived and embraced. Um, and then witness, if we got the biggest word is wit- mission, the second is in narrowing focus is witness. And and our actions can be a witness and our yeah. words can be a witness. I think evangelism though does require words. Um, and and I think that's important because there's kind of a thing that goes around on Facebook a lot. It says, uh, you know, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. It's quoted from St. Francis of Assisi. Right. Uh, only two problems with it. Number one, he never said it. So there's that. And number two, it's really not great theology. You, the, the gospel, when it's proclaimed, is proclaimed, is preached, is is shared in words. So, but seeing that these three things, so I can be on mission, displaying loving witness through my words and deeds, and then... We also want to acknowledge there is a important place and a clear value. Jesus says, "Make disciples of all nations." In Luke twenty four, he says, uh, "Repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in all nations, beginning at Jerusalem." So, I think today, I mean, you know, the salvos, as they call them in Australia, the Salvation Army um, has really led the way in an embodied, loving witness. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and I think you know, back before that was, I mean, there was a time when. Christians only thought about proclaiming the gospel, just telling people about Jesus. Today we live in a world where it's kind of harder to get people to tell people about Jesus and okay. might be, not to the level the Salvation Army is, but but might be easier for them to say, let's do a serve day. Let's do some demonstration of care and concern for our community. And I would say that both of these really deeply matter. And I think Salvation Army has embodied that for 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 centu- uh, well over a century. And I think we can... Uh, we can learn from. And of course, I'm, this is most of our audience will be Salvation Army. What I would say to everyone in our audience is we have to make certain that we don't follow the unfortunate path that, you know, Mark Twain once wrote that history doesn't repeat itself, but it tends to rhyme. So mm-hmm. people who love the, love the hurting, love serving the hurting, uh, have had a hard time historically continuing to put a focus on sharing the gospel I think the history and the theology of Salvation Army can make sure that we prioritize both.
0: Mm, Yeah, you know, that's an interesting way to put it because in the Army, we often speak of an integrated mission. Uh, Our mission has two parts, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and meet human needs in his name without discrimination. It's like two wings of a bird is the way we uh, refer to it. And that if we were... To uh, uh, err on one side to the detriment of the other, we wouldn't be living up to our mission. So, the mission for us is a kind of a dialectic between service and proclamation. Uh, uh, proclamation always balancing with service and vice versa. So, we keep a foot in both camps, if you will. I like that. Uh, uh, thereby giving people a visible demonstration of the words that we're trying to convey.
1: Yeah, and I would just say, and I love that, I mean, that's one of the reasons that I have um, been so appreciative of the work of the Salvation Army. I would say in the second decade of the second millennium, um, we're also acknowledging that all across the world, people will welcome you when you do good deeds. They will be positively inclined towards your work. You'll be you know, greeted by the mayor, you'll be welcomed by the town council. Um, So if you said two, you you talk about two, and I think that's helpful to talk about two, you refer to as two big rocks, right? So two big rocks Um, in the mission, two big rocks of gospel proclamation and gospel demonstration. In this time, the communities will welcome you if you are focused on gospel demonstration. And I think that's good. You'll see your good works, give glory to your father who is in heaven, but they will tend to resist you or oppose you when you focus on gospel proclamation. So what does that tell us? If they're both priorities in the mission, I think John Stott's mission in the modern world helps us kind of defines that pretty well. And this is kind of the consensus among evangelicals today that the the mission is both gospel demonstration and proclamation, not everybody, but it's consensus, not unanimous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if that's the case, but one is welcomed by society and one is resisted by society, we would be naive at best, maybe reckless at worst, not to acknowledge that we're going to have to work harder to make sure we don't lose proclamation uh-huh. in this time. And so, and that's my exhortation It depends upon the group I'm talking to. Right. So if I'm talking to a group that is very, you know, heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. I'm, I'm going to say, you know, the kingdom of God has broken into the world. Let's join Jesus on mission caring for the least of these. And if I'm going to be talking to a group that is, uh, particularly young evangelicals today, they're increasingly interested in issues of, and rightfully interested in issues of justice and mercy. I'm going to say to them, let's remember that Jesus gave four commissions between his resurrection and his ascension. And they're very focused on making disciples and living on mission and, and repentance and forgiveness of sin being proclaimed in his name in all nations. I think we have to remember that, you know, this is not the mid 1800s when maybe the shocking news was that Christians should care for the poor. Uh, this is a time when maybe the shocking news is Christians should share, proclaim the good news of the gospel, teach the totality of the scriptures in a world that's not so appreciative about those things. But again, let me say too, that I'm deeply appreciative and want more, not less, Christians serving the hurting. That Luke 4, 18 through 20 picture, the Spirit of Lord upon me has anointed me to preach good news, and then talks about the poor and marginalized and more. And I just want to remind all of us that if we're mainly in our mind thinking Luke 19.10, Jesus came to seek and save the lost, there's Luke 4.18. And if we're mainly in Luke 4.18, there's Luke 19.10. He he came serving the hurting and saving the lost. And when we join oh. him on mission, our mission needs to prioritize serving the hurting and saving the lost, as I know is so central to the mission of the Salvation Army.
0: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, what you're referring to there is uh, uh, culture uh cultural dimensions, cultural shifts, if you will, uh, evolution over time. As culture changes, the church's mode by which it should transfer the gospel into the culture is going to change. Um, In the current culture, I think you're right. Uh, People are very respectful of actions, uh, but they're very resistant to words, the notion of truth itself uh, is very much at issue. So what does uh, the church, particularly after the pandemic, uh, do to prepare itself for this? Are we, are we in a, the right place uh, to, uh, to up our game, if you will, when it comes to proclamation?
1: Yeah, I think it's a good question. I, I, think, the, the, I think we need to up our game, game in regard to the mission in general. So I think that the human inclination is to be about ourselves and the ones closest to us. Uh, The Christ-like inclination is to be about um, the brokenness of the world and the lostness of the world. Those two things I think are super helpful. That The world is broken uh, and thus we're gonna join Jesus in his mission to repair, to be at work in the broken world. And the world is lost, and I think we're going to be those who share the good news of the gospel. So, so COVID um, and post in the post-COVID reality that we're in, of course, I recognize that even those words are some people like, "Well, it's not." I get it, I get it, but we're certainly responding differently. You know, having just traveled through Europe and different places in North America, we're responding differently than we were uh, a year ago.
0: Yes.
1: So, if that's the case what does that mean? Well, we're coming out of COVID and churches in general are smaller. I just was in the UK when the news came out that their decline is actually larger than the North American decline where you and I are. Um, But, you know, and depending on where you are, you know, if you're in New York City, I was the interim pastor of a church in New York City during COVID. uh, And, uh, you know, Calvary Church right across the street from Carnegie Hall there. And we were hit hard. I mean, hard. Whereas, you know, if you were people listening to this podcast in Texas, you know, Texas, didn't participate in the pandemic. I mean, they were just sort of doing their own thing and, and uh, you know, and, you know, in some ways um, we're impacted less so because of how people responded. Now, when I say that some people are like, well, well, what about should we have, I got, I got thoughts about this. And I would just say, let's all, let's all calm down about that for the moment uh, and just say that uh, churches were impacted differently in different regions. This is, you know, mostly your a U.S. audience. Um, and so, but, but all were impacted while, by their attendance has experienced some decline. Typically not, not every church has, but as a whole, there's been a decline, um, giving in a lot of cases actually not declined as much as attendance. Mm. And in some cases there's actually, some people are more engaged and involved than they were during COVID because they got, they stepped up, they stood out, they stood in the gap in the midst of COVID. And so what I would say is that, um, There's been a resorting, a reshuffling. I've written about what I call the great sort. People have sorted themselves ideologically in some ways, but, um, but some people have gotten more involved, loosely involved. People have often mostly, if not completely disconnected. So what does that mean? I would say that if your church is, finds itself, your church or ministry finds (laughs) itself with a higher level of engaged and involved people, you want to normalize that. You want to call for those who are not as involved to become more involved, then maybe the result of the shaking that COVID brought the church will be a more engaged and involved congregation. In some cases, that's smaller. Um, I mean, in a lot of cases, percentage-wise, it's just it's the norm that there's some level of decline. Uh, But at the same time, there might be a higher level of service and a higher level of giving, which means that maybe we move forward with a greater sense of clarity on the mission of who we are.
0: So ultimately, you're optimistic as a consequence of the church coming out of COVID, having perhaps Mm resorting itself. uh, That has proven to be a helpful step forward. Well, journey. you know,
1: I'm I'm because of my faith I'm probably perpetually optimistic. I mean, I've read the end of the book and Jesus <laughs> wins, so yeah. since Jesus wins, I'm but I, I but I would say that there's opportunity in the midst of this. I mean, I think COVID, I think, you know, we we've had pandemics, much worse pandemics over the centuries. We all know that. We just look you know, look to the plague. Um, but never in history have we had the capability to shut everything down. And so never in history have we shut everything down. I just came back from the UK where their shutdowns were far more substantive than anything we did, you know, and, and, you know, we order food on apps. I mean, nobody ordered food on apps in 1962. Um, so, so I I don't think we know that we've never been here before. So I don't think we know the full ramifications. So let me say, I think substantive damage was done to the patterns and life of many churches. Um, and I think that there's opportunity that comes to, for example, I think now's the time to elevate our ecclesiology. Now, I think yeah. the time to do that was actually probably before the pandemic, but I think the time is to teach people why gathering in community matters. Again, don't read into my, you know, what I said there. I think ecclesiology matters and I recognize people have different views of shutdowns and all that. That's actually not what I'm talking about, but coming out of COVID is a great opportunity to teach people why, they need to gather with feet and faces not just electrons and avatars when when they when they, we recognize our exceptions with disability and things of that sort so i think teaching two things coming out of the pandemic that would give me encouragement moving forward i think we need to elevate our ecclesiology and i think we need to engage more deeply the mission so if we elevate and engage elevate our ecclesiology this is why it, ma- it matters that we, are, uh, that we are in this community together, this Hebrews 10, forsake not the assembling of yourself together. Uh, you know, the, the, the idea, how, how, this, how this matters is the elevating of the ecclesiology. And then I would say we need to engage the mission, and this is where showing uh, and sharing the love of Jesus. So when people gather together, it really does matter. Uh, in ways that before were pretty, maybe we even pretty uh, casual, but I think, you know, if I recall, citadels and temples, um, you know, when we, when we gather in those places, we're making a statement that the kingdom of God has broken into the world. This is a foretaste, a sign of what the kingdom of God looks like. And I just think by elevating our ecclesiology, it also help us to engage that mission.
0: So you're talking about coming together in order to be sent out.
1: Yeah, gathered and scattered really matters, yeah. Uh,
0: Yeah, to be gathered and scattered. Uh, You you mentioned a few moments ago that you had been an interim pastor uh, in New York during COVID. Uh, We hear a great deal today about the stresses and strains of pastoral leadership. What was your experience? Uh, Did you find it to be everything that uh, you've read about it? Did it, uh, 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 was it as challenging as you perhaps imagined it would be? Was it less challenging? What was mm. your experience? Yeah. So I've been, I mean, I've been a
1: pastor or an interim pastor, kind of an almost an unbroken line for, since I was 21 years of age. So so when I changed roles and became uh, a researcher and a missiologist, I still started or pastored or interim churches. So during COVID, I was the interim pastor, uh, I served as interim at the Moody Church in Chicago. And so- um, you know, historic church, fascinating church, yes. you know, and it's, it's been quite a, I mean, it was quite a journey. So we, we, we shut down um, like, like everybody else did when the president declared a national shutdown. Uh, but we're in an urban context that was very, the city of Chicago was very anti-gathering. It was, I mean, it was, it was challenging. Um, and, you know, after I, I finished during the, I finished my interim there during COVID lockdown. So, so they actually called their new pastor via, a zoom sermon in this tradition, they do it like a trial sermon and then they vote and they voted via survey monkey. So it was pretty fascinating. Here's the, the, what was the oldest extant megachurch in the world making news because it was, um, you know, voting for a pastor that they never physically met. Um, but, but I I think that, um, that it would be fair to say that the last few years, let's say the last two to three years have probably been the hardest time on a whole that most pastors and leaders have led, uh, and I would put myself in that category too. And I, I think it's not just COVID; it's the political division, it's the rising vocal nature of social media, it's mm-hmm. the tribalism, it's it's the rising of nationalism, it's political division. It's so. So, what I would say is, now you know, we're not that far apart in age. So, in our lifetime, this has probably been the most difficult time to lead. And we've sort of been in what might be an historical parentheses is that. For the last few decades, and I'm not I'm not saying it's been easy, and you know it's not been easy, but for the last few decades, it's actually been relatively not tumultuous and turbulent. Mm-hmm. But if we look back, I mean, gosh, think about the, you know, even back to the beginning of the of the army and some of the things that I mean, some of the the challenging times, you know, when you're in the UK, you're constantly hearing about World War One and World War Two and the impact that all these things made. And and uh, you know, we didn't live through those things, you know, maybe. Yeah people our age can remember the Vietnam war and some of the division of then. And, you know, and the loss the tremendous loss of life that was there, but I don't have a living memory of that. So for my lifetime, this is the most difficult time we I've led. And most of my peers have led. If you had, if you're old enough to have a living memory or being serving in leadership in the late sixties, maybe you experienced that. So yeah, it's a, it's a hard time. And so I've encouraged pastors and leaders officers to grow uh, reservoirs of resilience uh, to find ways to, because I don't think this is, I mean, I think one of the things that, I don't want to disappoint everybody, but you probably figured out by now, this is not ending when COVID ends. It's, yeah. It seems that the division, the societal, the cultural convulsion, I'm calling it, if people want to read more, they Google my name and cultural convulsion. The cultural convulsion is going to continue. How long in the past could be four, six, eight years we've seen. I mean, the late yeah. 60s eventually resolves into the 70s and And the countries in the world's less divided. And so, you know, it's not sustainable, probably this level of vitriol. But um, what I would say to you is you're going to need reservoirs of resilience. This is probably years still to go. And you're going to need communities of support. So that's why I think, you know, getting in with other groups of pastors and leaders to kind of help encourage you. Uh, you know, Salvation Army probably has connections points where people can sure. can learn and listen to one another. So I think we need reservoirs of resilience and communities of support to make it through what I'm guessing will be another few challenging years, which so far have been the hardest years of my lifetime to lead.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, what do you think are the biggest stumbling blocks for people uh, today in terms of faith? What what prevents them from becoming people of faith today? What are the biggest uh, uh, stumbling blocks?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the, the rise of secularism is making it more and more people see that the reasonable way of life is not the religious way of life, that the religious way of life is a, is an outlier sort of way of life. So I think in general, people are moving more towards we call the rise of the nuns though. Interestingly, uh, was a gallop. Frank Newport just put there's been a bit of a pause or a plateau to the rise of the nuns. It'll be interesting to see if that stays. But I think that um that that's been a challenge for a lot of people who are like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe in the past it was like, you know, I'm not religious, but that's a reasonable thing and good people oh. are. And and now I think increasingly that's not the case. I think the perception uh, some self caused negative perception among evangelicals, and some because people have a vested interest in painting evangelicals in a negative way, Christians in a negative way, not just evangelicals um, I think that that creates a challenge for us of a perception in the context that is more negative towards devout people of faith now here's what's interesting i I was just uh, on Friday I was teaching this at Oxford on Friday before we recorded this and uh, the negative perceptions remain whether uh, whether non-Christians know or don't know a Christian, and particularly we, we use the term evangelical. Mm-hmm. But if non-Christians said they had an evangelical friend, the negatives actually stay the same, but the positives went way up. So I do think that, um, that one mm-hmm. of the challenges is the perception in this community. I, I think one of the challenges is there's a negative perception of proselytization, of evangelism for us as Christians. Um, so, you know, I mean, I think most people are fine. You want to live your life the way you live your life, but don't try to change my mind about mm. what I believe. So I think the negative perception of evangelism is part of that. I, I, think, uh, I think there are defeater beliefs. Tim Keller talks a lot about this. There are defeater beliefs uh, that people have. They might be, particularly today, around uh, what Christians believe around issues maybe of sexuality. About what they believe and issues of, of uh, you know, for science. So, you know, I mean, we could go through those different examples, but my my point being is that every generation sort of has some defeater beliefs. If you Google that phrase in Tim Keller's name, not mine, you'll find more about that. Um, all of those things <laughs> we have to point to and remind people that, you know, in the midst of the time we live, every generation's had defeater beliefs, but Jesus still says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we can still yes. tell the good news, explain what we believe, even when what we believe is out of step with the society, not, not give up on what we believe, because I think it's... Um I don't know, you know, the beliefs I'm talking about here would be biblical, rooted biblical beliefs, not give up on what we believe, but to recognize that those beliefs do make us out of the mainstream of society. But we can call people when society's collapsing. We can call people and collapsing may be too strong of a word, but we're certainly in a tumultuous and turbulent time. We can call people to the rock that is Jesus that never fails.
0: Mm, mm, very, very good. What's the next book we should look for from Ed Stetzer?
1: Yeah, well, I'm working on two. Uh, the one that I'm and I'm behind on them. Just to be fully honest. It's been several years since I wrote Christians in the Age of Outrage, so I'm writing a book on the future of evangelicalism. And mm. you might find it interesting, Commander Hodder. That you I would are, find a
0: great interest in that.
1: You are cited in the book from a conversation oh, oh that we goodness. have. So, I'll, <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, because I, I do think that um, the path that we're on has been, uh, you know, the the future is amazing. It looks a lot like the past. Um, in all cases, you know, there are things that are already happening now that are going to be the things that are going to make a difference for the future. And I, I think that some of what you're doing in the Salvation Army is the kind of thing that will point to a, uh, an evangelical future that is rooted in the gospel, living out the mission, showing and sharing the love of Jesus. Um, I think too, the, even some of the things we've touched on here, the priority of uh, sharing the gospel really matters. And, and I'm going to call people back to that both through its demonstration and through its proclamation. So, so yeah, so I'm guessing I'll be done with that in a, a matter of weeks. And so it'll be out sometime late 2023, I think. So thanks. Thanks for asking.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I'm certainly going to look forward to that. Between now and then, of course, you've got the holidays. Uh, tell us how you're going to spend uh, your holidays this year.
1: Yeah, I wasn't sure when this came out, so I, I didn't know if it would be uh, in and around Christmas or not. So, um, so we have my daughters all coming home. Very excited about that because, you know, we we're empty nesters now. In, in, the, uh, in, in August, our youngest daughter went off to college. And uh, then we were empty nesters, so we moved to England. So we said, "See you, kids." Um, so <laughs> we've been we've been gone for months, so I haven't seen them. So we're back in Chicago land for our Christmas celebration. And uh, you know, one of the things we love, one of our family traditions is is that um, we. Uh, and maybe, you know, I'm guessing you, since your audience is Salvation Army, you're so, I mean, your Christmas traditions uh, top anything we would do. One of the things we like <laughs> to do is we always give a gift to the Lord that's larger than any gift that we give anybody else. And in our case, we actually give it to support uh, international missions in addition to regular giving, things of that sort. But it's a great opportunity to remind people. And it's a great for our family that that we're celebrating Jesus. And it's also a great opportunity for um evangelism now again in the Army yeah. it's a great opportunity for generosity and uh, and I've privileged to, to, to give and to share and, and give and share through the, the Army so super thankful for what you do but you also know what a great I mean you know here you are known for generosity and yeah. giving in the time of the holidays what an opportunity to to say to people hey you know we're also a church and we'd like That's to right. invite you to come hear the good news of jesus this christmas christmas eve christmas day lots of opportunity for gospel sharing
0: oh you're absolutely right in fact the phrase that we have adopted uh for our public relations efforts uh, over this year and the year to come is love beyond Oh, i love it and we want people to uh love beyond circumstances we want them to love uh, others beyond homelessness, and it's all taken from First Peter four eighteen. You know, above all, love each other deeply. Uh, let's all share and love beyond uh, what we imagine we are capable of doing in and of ourselves, and and let's just love. And what you're doing at the holidays with your family clearly is that. So Ed, I cannot thank you enough for the opportunity to be with you here today. This has been an invigorating conversation. I always learn something whenever you speak, Ed, and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing you again in person very soon at the NAE meetings. And in between now and then, I just pray that God will continue to bless all that you're doing and that he'll continue to use those tremendous skills that you have to advance his kingdom. Thankful for you, brother. God bless you. Thank you so much. Friends, thank you for being with us here today on the Love Beyond series of the Fight for Good podcast. God bless you. We'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. Tune in for more of the Love Beyond the podcast series and subscribe to Fight for Good wherever you listen to podcasts.